2: It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, here's some news. You
1: can now listen to our show and its four seasons worth of archives, ad-free, on Amazon Music.
0: This is an apostrophe podcast production.
1: to inform you, the Rejection Podcast. The assistant coach said I was just too dumb that I couldn't keep the plays straight in the huddle. Johnny Unitas. One day in a small coal town in West Virginia. A minor made the discovery of a lifetime. Her name was Helen Superfisky, and he did believe her to be super. Helen spoke four languages. She was a self-taught piano player turned organist at the local Catholic church. He was rather dexterous himself. Francis Unitus had long fingers and extra-wide palms— and he used them to win at shot put, pitch baseball, box, and, on occasion, clear boulders from the side of the road. He didn't look like he'd be strong. Francis was a six-foot-tall string bean of a young man. But that was part of the fun. When people doubted his circus strongman-like abilities, he'd lift the back wheels of a truck off the ground, just to watch their faces together, the handy couple tied the knot in 1925. Over the next 10 years, they'd have four children, two boys and two girls. And over those same years, Helen and Francis would painstakingly establish their own coal delivery business. With one small truck, the pair heated the homes of one small section of Pittsburgh. But it was the height of the Great Depression and earnings were modest at best. The family crammed into a small home with Helen's extended family, where all six of the Unitas clan slept in the dining room. Then one morning, one of the couple's employees didn't show, and Frances was forced to take on a double shift. When tragedy struck. Francis woke up early that morning to fulfill deliveries until sundown. Then he rolled up his sleeves and began another whole day's worth of work, shoveling the next day's coal until sunup. But somewhere between the exhaustion and the bitter cold that night, Francis came down with pneumonia. The pneumonia led to kidney failure, and at just 37 years old... Francis Unitas died. Helen Unitas was left to raise their four children under 11 on her own. To keep the business afloat, she was forced to hire men to shovel the coal and make the deliveries while she managed the orders. With more salaries to pay, she took on other jobs, working at a bakery in the morning, selling insurance in the afternoon, and cleaning office buildings at night. As the years passed, her children's memories of their father began to fade, particularly the younger two, both under five when he passed. But Helen noticed growing similarities between her children and their late father, mainly the second youngest, Johnny. Johnny grew his father's big hands. Johnny Unitas was a quiet kid. His siblings said he didn't speak much. He always had his head in the clouds or his nose in a comic book. One day at the local library, Unitas discovered a biography of legendary Notre Dame coach Newt Rockne. And he became obsessed with every detail of Rockne's storied career. So obsessed. The last time Unitas went to check out the book, the librarian realized she'd run out of space to stamp the return date. So she just gave it to him. After school, rain, snow, or shine, Unitas helped his mother deliver coal. Before school at 4.30 a.m., he shoveled coal into basement bins. If he or his siblings ever cut corners or complained about the job, their mother would say, If you have to clean toilets for a living, make them shine." If they wanted to go to the movies, they had to collect bottles to return for two-cent deposits. It would be a while before Unitas realized other kids were given allowances for such outings. Shirley Unitas, Johnny's sister, said their street wasn't paved and their neighborhood was rough. It was a place where one's dreams were usually simple, like making enough money to go to the movies. But one day, when Unitus was in the 8th grade, his teacher asked her students what they wanted to be when they grew up. And when she reached 13-year-old Unitus, he didn't know why or where it came from, but he confidently proclaimed to his classmates... I'm going to be a professional football player. School wasn't his favorite place. His grades were below average. Unitas was much happier tossing a ball around with friends. He played playground football, baseball, and basketball— and come grade 9, he was finally ready to try out for the St. Justin's High School football team. But Unitus was rejected. They told him he was too skinny, that it was too dangerous to have such a slight player on the field. That night, a heartbroken Unitus told his big brother Leonard, the oldest of the brood, about the slight slight. But Leonard was having none of it. He told his baby brother to march right back onto the field the next day, that he'd meet him there and demand a talk with the coach. As Tom Callahan tells the story in his biography titled, Johnny You, The Life and Times of John Unitas, the next day Leonard left work to meet his brother at tryouts. <laughs> But just as Leonard worked himself up for a proper confrontation, he glanced onto the gridiron. And there, his little brother was in the middle of a huddle. Then he watched him jump up in the air and with his colossal right hand, rifle a pass over the middle for a completion. Leonard said Johnny's whole face, his whole body, was a smile. So... The big brother tempered his temper, turned around, and went straight back to work. St. Justin's High School had itself a brand new quarterback. St. Justin's was a small school, B-League, but Unitas shone. The new QB's cousins said people filled the stands to see this, quote, skinny, bow-legged kid throw the ball 40 yards. Unitas made the All-Catholic team, even beating out some of the A-leaguers for a spot. And by his sophomore season, the St. Justin's football team had a new coach, a better coach, James Max Carey. Carey was an interesting fellow, He was gentler than most coaches, never yelled, never stomped. To quote Johnny Yu's biographer Tom Callahan, if the Browns coach Paul Brown brought to mind a homicide inspector viewing the body, Carey resembled a stockbroker who had just missed his train. (laughs) Carey became somewhat of a father figure for Unitas. He taught him that To lead, one didn't have to be brash. But perhaps most notably, Carey taught Unitas how to behave off the field. That when one accepts the position of quarterback, they resign their position as one of the boys. That one must be wary of getting too chummy with the people they lead. A good QB maintains an air of aloofness. Unitas got only the grades needed to pass his high school courses. But as his final season approached, he decided he wanted to continue playing football in college. And there was only one college Unitas had in mind. Newt Rockney's college. He would play for Notre Dame. And... Thanks to contacts of Coach Carey and a glowing letter from a St. Justin's priest, someone at Notre Dame agreed to grant Unitas the opportunity of a lifetime, a tryout with the Fighting Irish. Unitas was terrified to meet Notre Dame's famed head coach, Frank Leahy. Leahy had just led the Irish to a fourth national championship. He was the best coach in college football. He was notoriously tough. But turns out, the QB's anxiety was for naught. Coach Leahy didn't turn up to Johnny Yu's tryout. Instead, an assistant coach was sent in his place. Unitas played his heart out all week long and at the end, the assistant coach pulled him aside. He told Unitas that while he was talented, at eleven and just 137 pounds, he was simply too small. The coach later said that he knew fans would run them out of town if they ever brought in a player weighing 137 pounds, adding, we're liable to be sued for manslaughter up here folks over at Notre Dame suggested Unitas try out for the Ivy League, but he didn't have the grades. So he looked at Indiana University, but they rejected him. So he applied to the University of Pittsburgh, but he failed the entrance exam. Many major colleges had histories of overlooking academic ineptitude in favor of athletic prowess, but The underweight high school senior quaking before them wasn't worth making an end run around the rules. Each time Unitas approached another school, he felt a twinge of shame. It was like he was walking around with a scarlet L emblazoned on his jersey. He wasn't big enough. He wasn't smart enough. NCAA schools with their highly paid recruiters turn their attention to athletes from A-level high schools. But meanwhile, a few states west, a college with a zero-dollar recruiting budget, not even for long-distance telephone calls, was searching for a quarterback— The University of Louisville was not an NCAA school. They played their home games on a local high school's field. Their team dorms only had one toilet and two showers. They were scrambling to pay their coaches. And in their last season, they lost twice as many games as they won. That last season was assistant coach Frank Gitcher's first season with Louisville and he was desperate to turn that record around. The first order of business was to find a new QB, so he asked his team if they'd heard about any promising high school players. And one freshman piped up. He hailed from the Pittsburgh area, and he'd heard recently that back home there was a B-league kid who was tough as nails and could really throw the football. They called him Johnny U. Given his zero-dollar recruiting budget, Gitcher had two choices. He could send the B-League kid a letter in the mail. Or, on his trip home for Christmas that year, he could pop by the Unitas household. So, one blustery evening that December... Gitcher pulled up to Johnny Yu's house. It was pitch black, but as he made his way up the front steps, he noticed, under the porch light, was a burlap sack with a black hole in the bottom. Gitcher paused. He knew that bag. He lived that bag. As biographer Tom Callahan tells the story... When Coach Gitcher was a kid himself in Pennsylvania, his father would give him 50 cents to go to the lumber yard and collect pieces of coal that had dropped off the trucks, what they called slack, in a burlap bag. By the time the bag was full, he'd be dragging it around until there was a hole in the bottom and a black line of coal dust that followed him all the way home. That burlap sack told Coach Gitcher everything he needed to know. There was grit behind that front door, in every sense of the word. And that night, without seeing Unitas throw a single ball, he offered the 17-year-old a full scholarship, with room and board, to play football for the University of Louisville. A short while later... Helen Unitas sent Coach Gitcher a letter. In it, she wrote only four words. John wants to come. And we'll be right back. Did you know Apostrophe has a YouTube channel? You can listen to We Regret to Inform You and Under the Influence anytime. Just tap the link in this episode's description. Ryan Reynolds here
0: from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So, to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing.
1: Unitas spent the entire summer before college training hard and bulking up, and by the first day of his freshman year, he had reached 145 pounds, standing 6 foot 1. Yet, at his very first practice as a Louisville Cardinal in 1951, the head coach mistook him for the water boy. This is how young Johnny Yu was described that season scrawny, bow-legged as a ranch hand, hunched shoulders, the run of a pissed-off camel, big feet, even bigger hands, and outplayed by QB1, QB2, and QB3. One day when Unitas left the room, the head coach turned to Gitcher and said, "'Boy, you got a project.'" The head coach ran military-like drills on his players. Gitcher ran extra on Unitas, teaching him where to position his feet, how to throw without rolling his wrist. And Unitas never complained. He never tired. His tactical awareness only grew each practice. Unitas watched the first four games from the bench. Then on game five of the season, The Cardinals were down 19-nothing at halftime. They were desperate. So Gitcher told Unitas to get ready. It was pouring rain that day as Unitas ran onto the muddy field to play his first-ever college football game. Down 19-nothing, it was an impossible feat. But Unitas completed 11 straight passes, including three for touchdowns, bringing the score to 21-19, an astounding comeback. In the end, the Cardinals would lose 22-21, but Unitas single-handedly restored their dignity. And what happened next was an almost unbelievable chain of events the starting QB, injured his knee. Then the second QB developed tonsillitis. Then the third QB transferred schools. And freshman John Unitas became the Louisville Cardinals' starting quarterback. With Unitas at the helm, the Cardinals won four games in a row that season, including a game-winning 92-yard touchdown pass by Unitas and Gitcher said the head coach simply fell in love with him. Soon, coaches from other schools started trying to poach Unitas, including Indiana, which had rejected him just one year prior. But he refused, because Louisville took him in when no one else would. But over the remainder of his college career, Unitas would come to question that decision. In his sophomore year, 15 returning players flunked out, and they were replaced by 15 walk-on freshmen who, quote, didn't even play on their high school teams. And as a result, as the Baltimore Sun put it, the rest of Johnny Yu's Louisville career was a study in defeat And frustration. Unitas was the only competent player on the field, and everyone knew it. So Louisville started marketing the team around Unitas. In his sophomore year, they took out ads that read, Come see Unitas pass. In his junior year, those ads changed to, Unitas, we stand, divided, we fall. In one game against Tennessee, Unitas rushed for 52 yards, completed nine passes, scored the Cardinals' only touchdown, and led the defense in tackles. They lost that game, but the opposing coach said Unitas was the best quarterback they played all season, and as he walked off the field that day, Tennessee fans gave him a standing ovation. Unitas ended his third year with a 1-7 record. He'd end his fourth and final college season at 3-6. Unitas graduated from the University of Louisville with a Bachelor of Science in Physical Education and a marriage to his girlfriend, Dorothy Jean. In spite of his team's shortcomings, Unitas became widely respected among pro scouts and coaches. But when the 1955 NFL draft came around, those same pro scouts began voicing the same doubts he'd heard his entire career. A fellow cardinal said NFL teams were looking at a guy who weighed maybe 170 pounds— And he wondered if there was anyone brave enough to take a chance on him. On January 27th, 1955, the NFL Draft took place in New York City. The first round went by, then the second round, then the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. Then... In the ninth round came the 102nd pick. The Pittsburgh Steelers select John Unitas. Johnny Yu was chosen by his home team. His elementary school dream had come true. He was a professional football player. Unitas was mailed a one-year contract for $5,500. He signed it immediately, but... He cautioned his wife about getting too excited. He still had to survive the training camp. Unitas would be the fourth quarterback invited to the Steelers training camp that summer. He was given his uniform, but as soon as he put it on, he felt himself get lost in the crowd. Unitas became invisible He said most of the time the coaches acted like he wasn't there. When they'd run the QBs through drills, they'd blow the whistle before Unitas even got a turn. The only time he got to play was if he stayed late after practice and talked a couple other players into running routes for him. Unitas didn't play a single exhibition game. They did bring him into one scrimmage when the field was too muddy to risk injuring the first string. After the final preseason game in New York, Unitas turned to another player and said, I think they're going to cut me. That night, Unitas heard a knock on his door. The coach wanted to see him. Oh, and he should bring his playbook. Johnny Yu was cut from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Art Rooney Jr., son of Pittsburgh Steelers founding owner Art Rooney Sr., reportedly said they weren't looking for any projects. Unitas would later hear the Steelers' assistant coach thought he was too dumb that he couldn't keep the plays straight in the huddle. Unitas turned in his uniform and his playbook, and in exchange was handed a ten-dollar bill, bus fare back to Pittsburgh. He pocketed the ten dollars and hitchhiked home, three and a half hours to decide how to tell his pregnant wife he was out of job. Unitas heard the Steelers were looking for a practice-only player to run the opponent's plays. So after the Steelers' home opener that season, Unitas hung out in the locker room, hoping to talk to someone about the job. But it was too humiliating. Unitas and his wife moved in with her parents, and soon he visited his brother Leonard, who was now running their parents' coal delivery business he begged his brother for a job. Equally humiliating. But Leonard said, no way. Unitas couldn't believe it. This was his backup plan. The family business, a sure thing. But his older brother refused to hire him. He said, if I let you work here, you'll become a truck driver instead of a football player. Leonard encouraged his little brother to write letters to different coaches, starting with Paul Brown of the Cleveland Browns. The Browns quarterback was retiring, and they were looking for someone tough to replace him. The Browns were intrigued by Unitas and invited him to come try out. But 24 hours before the big day, the original QB unretired and Unitas was informed his tryout was put on hold, indefinitely. Unitas took a job doing construction. After work, he joined a local semi-pro team called the Bloomfield Rams. He said it was basically like a pickup game. You practiced maybe once a week. Uniforms were non-existent. The field was a grassless plot behind a junior high school and it paid $6 a game, headquartered in the basement of a hoagie restaurant. Unitas played defensive back for the first game. By the second, he was starting QB. It was a different crew than he was used to. To them, Unitas was a college boy, an NFL hopeful and they took every opportunity to bring him back down to earth. But it didn't take long for his teammates to recognize his strength. The gangly new QB could throw, and soon he commanded the respect of the team and a per-game pay increase from $6 to 15 That first season, Unitas led the Bloomfield Rams to the championship. Then he got an unexpected phone call. The Baltimore Colts invited him to a tryout. How the Colts heard about Johnny Yu remains a bit of a mystery. There are three conflicting stories. The first is that the GM came across his name on a waiver list and it, quote, rang a bell. The second is that the Colts' head coach, Wilbur Eubank, received a glowing letter from a Bloomfield Rams superfan. And the third story is that the manager of the Bloomfield Rams, wife, wrote to the Colts about Unitas. We may never know, but suffice it to say, Unitas accepted the invitation. On the way to the tryout, Unitas said... This may be a total waste of time. But in the spring of 1956, he met with Coach Eubank. Eubank said, A lot of players can throw deep. Unitas could pass deep. And he signed the QB to a one year contract with the Baltimore Colts for $7,000. The Baltimore Colts had never had a winning season, and Eubank was charged with turning that reputation around. Before the first practice of the season, a Baltimore player noticed Unitas across the locker room, warming up his arm. And the player couldn't believe his eyes. That was the new quarterback, the skinny little scarecrow with a hot pack on his shoulder, adding... He'll never make it. On August eleventh, nineteen fifty-six, Unitas made his official NFL debut when QB one got injured. The announcer introduced him to the crowd as Number Nineteen, Johnny Unitas, as he threw his first NFL pass. It was intercepted for a touchdown. Unitas wasn't rattled. He knew what he did wrong, and he had a plan to correct his misstep in the next game. He was actually confident. Eubank said Unitas was a kid who craved success and didn't have it for so long that he wasn't about to waste it when it came. The next game, Unitas threw two touchdown passes, leading the Colts to a 28-21 win. The game after that, they won again, 21-7. In the final game, Unitas threw the winning pass in the last 15 seconds. The Colts ended the season 5-7, Unitas rounding out his first NFL season with 110 completions in 198 attempts, nearly 1,500 yards, and nine touchdowns. The best by a rookie quarterback, in the NFL's 37-year history. In his second year with the Colts, Unitas became the team's official starting quarterback. In the season opener, he threw four touchdown passes. The Colts finished the 1957 season with an eight four record, the first winning season in Colts franchise history. Unitas threw for 24 touchdowns and took home the Jim Thorpe Memorial Trophy for most valuable player in the NFL. In the 1958 season, Unitas led the league in touchdowns and in quarterback rating, leading the Colts to the NFL championship. Remember, this was pre-Super Bowl days— 45 million people tuned in to watch the championship game, the largest television audience in NFL history up until that time. The Colts versus the New York Giants at Yankee Stadium. Giants player Sam Huff said, You couldn't outthink Unitas. When you thought run, he passed. When you thought pass, he ran. When you tried thinking in reverse, he double reversed. He said, We were one of the greatest defensive teams ever put together, but we didn't have a defense for Unitas. At the end of regulation, the game was tied up at 17 17, before going into overtime, the first overtime game in pro football history. Unitas marched the Colts down the field on the game-winning drive for a 23-17 final score. That game was a watershed for the NFL, widely credited with bringing football to the masses, attracting sponsors, advertising, media, fans, and changing Sundays forever. Unitas was crowned MVP of that championship game and given a red-and-white Chevy Corvette. He traded it in for a station wagon. The following season, Unitas led the Colts to the championship for a second year in a row, beating the Giants a second time. Unitas led the league in passing yards, touchdown passes, and completions, earning himself another Corvette. Between 1956 and 1960, Unitas threw at least one touchdown pass in 47 consecutive games, setting an NFL record that would go unchallenged for over 50 years. In 1964 and 1967, Unitas was named NFL MVP. In 1968, he led the Colts to another championship. In 1969, he was named NFL's Man of the Year, Player of the Decade, and Best Quarterback in the NFL's 50-year history. Then in the 1970 season, Unitas led the Colts to their first-ever Super Bowl championship. In 1972, Unitas left the Colts, signing a one-year, $250,000 contract with San Diego, or about $2 million today, doubling his prior year's earnings. Then, in 1973, at age 40 the quarterback hung up his cleats. And the gangly kid who dragged sacks of coal around Pittsburgh, who was called too slight and bow-legged, too dumb to keep the plays straight, rejected by Notre Dame, and cut by the Pittsburgh Steelers, solidified his place in history as one of the greatest NFL quarterbacks of all time.
0: The Johnny Unitas story is the kind of story that makes you want to stand up and cheer. When you look at his incredible playing stats, the record that stood for more than 50 years, and his induction into the Football Hall of Fame, you marvel at his accomplishments. But if you drill down past all the accolades and the championships and that Super Bowl ring, you arrive at ground zero. That ground zero is his work ethic. He learned it from his mother who worked four jobs to feed her family. He learned at shoveling coal at 4.30 in the morning. He learned to grind even when he was put on a team of lousy players. He kept pushing even when the Steelers cut him and forced him into a semi-pro league. He never let that burning ember extinguish even when he was cut and rejected from team after team. An unshakable work ethic quietly brings you many dividends... To begin with, you hone your craft. It's the practice. It's the wins. It's the losses. It's the learning. It's the doing. It's the sharpening of instinct. Then there's one more interesting aspect about a work ethic. You never know who's watching. Unbeknownst to Unitas, the Baltimore Colts were watching. His work ethic brought him to that moment, to that team, to that opportunity. His work ethic overcame all the obstacles people saw in him, that he wasn't good enough, that he didn't weigh enough, that he wasn't smart enough. He didn't just go around those objections. He smashed right through them. That work ethic inspired a lot of kids who dreamed of being an NFL quarterback one day. One of those kids kept a picture of Johnny Unitas over his bed because he worshipped Johnny Yu. That kid was Joe Namath. Remember this as you work your way toward what may seem like a faraway goal, as you work through all the rejections. College coach Gitcher once said, quote, We didn't get Johnny because of any great recruiting coup. We got him because no one else wanted him. The player that nobody wanted would eventually be named one of the top athletes of the century. Never, ever give up. John Constantine Unitas. NFL Seasons, 18. Yards, 40,239. Touchdowns, 290. Interceptions, 253. NFL Championships, 3. Super Bowls, 1. Inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, 1979. Unitas, we stand.
1: rejection podcast is an apostrophe podcast production and is recorded in our airstream mobile recording studio this series is hosted and written by me sydney o'reilly research allison pinches director callie o'reilly engineer jeff devine producer debbie o'reilly we don't regret to inform you our theme music is by ian lefevre and ari posner tunes by apm music The major source for this episode is Johnny Yu, The Life and Times of John Unitas by Tom Callahan. Other significant sources are listed in the show notes on our website, apostrophepodcasts.ca slash rejection. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like rejecting Kurt Warner from season two. Kurt Warner is a Super Bowl winning quarterback known for leading what's been called the greatest show on turf. But before being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Warner was cut from an NFL team and found himself stocking shelves at a local grocery store. It's an inspiring story from bags to riches. You can follow our network on social at Apostrophe Pod. This series is executive produced by Terry O'Reilly. See you next time.
0: Even on a budget,
1: 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it.